And some of you might have wondered why Carla wasn't up here singing today. We're in contract negotiations with her about renewing her contract. No, just kidding. I'm just te- that was just a joke. And so I told her we'll pay her double what we were paying her to keep doing it. And uh, double a nothing, double a zero is still zero. So that's amazing how that works. But uh, pray for her. She's getting some tests, I believe, on her throat done and things. And uh, it's hard to, it's, I, you know, when she first started coming to church, I saw I had, um, so if you watch people when they worship the Lord in our church, you see certain people just get into it more. So we had uh, Annette on this side moving all around. And then you had Carla balancing out this side. So it was a good balance keeping the flow of everything in between. In the side room, they just do their own thing. I don't even know what they do over there. The side room is like their own community over there. They just, they all know each other well, and they keep to the, that's their, that's their room over there. And so, and uh, I know Carla, you couldn't sing it out like you like today, but it's hard seeing you mellowed out during worship. That's just not normal for me, because you, you are always pouring it. I know, right? And so, but um, this morning, we're skipping the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 11. The reason we're skipping them is because last year I preached those verses. How many of you remember me preaching the first 10 verses of Mark 11? Anybody today? Harrison said he remembered last service, but he doesn't, didn't raise his hand this service. And so, Patrick, you remember me preaching it? And so... Palm Sunday, I preached it. This might help some of you that were here that day. Remember how I had one side of the room do Hosanna, and then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that? That was the first ten verses. So you do remember something. That's good. And uh, so we are going on to verse 11 through verse 25 today. Before we get into the message, I'm going to pass one sign-up sheet around. In two, two weeks from today, is we always have the I Love My Church conference. Brother Ray Young comes, and he speaks Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sunday night of that, we always have a dinner. And so if you're going to come be a part of that dinner, please sign up for that just so we have an idea. The dinner will be 5 o'clock, two Sundays from today. So we'll pass that around. Just sign your name there. And if you're going to be coming, if you have a question mark, some people do that too, and that's fine. As long as we get some sort of an idea. We don't want to have not enough food, but we always, we've never not had enough. We always have, sometimes, but sometimes you guys surprise me. Sometimes people sign up, and then they don't show up. But lately, more people that sign up actually show up. That's an impressive thing. It's amazing. You sign that you're going to do something, and then you do it. That's a good way to live. That's a good way to do it. And so you can sign that as it goes around. This morning's message, we're going to talk about a fig tree and the temple, and then talk a little bit more about the fig tree. That's the message today. Who likes figs? Anybody like figs in the room? Now, I was thinking about it. I don't know that I've ever had a fig. I have had fig Newtons. Now, who likes fig Newtons? I like them. I think that's more of an, an older person snack, but I like them. So, I don't know, they're kind of soft and teeth or no teeth. You can just gum through it if you need to. But anyways, did I say that? I did just say that. I did. Now, who has had a fig Newton and a fig? Who's had both? Okay, so does a fig taste similar to a fig newton? No. Then why do they call it a fig newton? Because there's a little bit of fig with a lot of sugar in there, probably. So let's start reading verse number 11, and you'll see today as we get into the message. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked 
round about upon all things. And now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. He cursed the tree and said, No one's ever going to eat fruit off of you. One of the things that I do see here is, I like that I can follow Jesus' example every once in a while. You ever talk to things? Jesus did right here. He talked to the fig tree. Now, I don't see him having a full-on conversation. Now, if you, it's one thing to talk to something. It's another to answer it back. That's another story. We aren't going down that road today. But we see Jesus was hungry, and this fig tree looked full. The leaves looked good, but there was no fruit. He cursed the tree and said, no one's ever going to eat fruit of this tree. Let's go to the next verse, verse 15. And they come to Jerusalem... And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves." And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. Here's the tree again. Dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto him, Have faith in God. What did Peter just get done saying? Hey, that fig tree that you cursed yesterday, it's dried up, it's withered away from the roots. Jesus' response is, Have faith in God. Okay, keep on reading. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. They go into the temple one day, and Jesus sees what's going on. He goes back to Bethany, and the next morning... They're hungry, and he passes by this fig tree, and he curses this tree because it's not bearing fruit. He goes into the temple. He turns over the tables of the money exchangers, of those selling doves, 
And he says that he blocks people from bringing merchandise into the temple. As they are on their way out the next day, as they're passing by, Peter says, Lord, remember that tree you cursed yesterday? It's drying up from the roots. There's significance in that, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But then we see that Jesus doesn't even talk about the tree. And he says, have faith in God. And he talks about prayer. There is a correlation between the fig tree and what took place in the temple and what the meaning behind the fig tree is at the end. If you'll notice, Peter was concerned about the fig tree drying up. Jesus wasn't concerned about the fig tree drying up. He was concerned about his people and their lack of prayer. You see, Jesus' mind was still on prayer. My house shall be called the house of prayer. Prayer is what Jesus was concerned about, and he taught some things about prayer. So this morning, for a little bit of time, I want to give you some lessons from a fig tree, the temple, and prayer. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have this morning. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. Help us apply it to our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A lot of times people like to look at Jesus and they just want to see all the gentle things that he did. There's even lots of songs that have been written about gentle Jesus. You know, holding a child in his hand and telling the disciples not to suffer the little children to come unto him. Him healing different people and woman, you know, where are your accusers at? Go and sin no more. People don't like talking about an angry Jesus. But he did get angry from time to time. He got mad at this fig tree. He got mad in the temple. Can you imagine walking into the temple and he just starts flipping the tables over? This is Jesus. You see him knock the chairs over of those selling the doves? You see him blocking people from bringing stuff into the temple and saying that this is supposed to be a place of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. This is Jesus right here. We think of the meekness of Jesus. We think about his grace. We think about his mercy. We think about him being a lamb. But he's also a lion of the tribe of Judah. I want to help you this morning. There are times to get upset with things. But you notice Jesus wasn't getting upset because he was personally inconvenienced. Or because... Things didn't go exactly the way he wanted them to go. There was righteous indignation in Jesus because God's house was being misused. The people were being extorted. They were making merchandise of God's house. There was a problem here. It is okay to get upset about righteous things. But we don't tend to get upset about righteous things. We tend to get upset when someone hurts us or wrongs us. There's a difference in those things. This morning, as we look at this passage, I want us to see several things. First thing that we'll notice is that Jesus, before he ever did anything in the temple, he went there one day and he left. Look at verse 11. Jesus entered into the temple, into Jerusalem and into the temple. He knows this is getting close to the end. 
Palm Sunday was seven days before he died on the cross. And so we see that it's leading up to that point. He walks into the temple. He sees what's going on. He doesn't turn over the tables and do all that he did the next day. You see something with Jesus, a lesson we can learn that this isn't even part of the sermon. This is a little extra for you today. Don't react right away to everything. We all have an issue with reacting too early. Did Jesus start flipping things over when he went? No. It says that even he went back to Bethany. Do you see that there? It was the very next day that he went in, and then he flips over the tables. We are very quick to react to everything. One of the things that we got to be careful with in our own lives is how we react. Because sometimes we make a fool of ourselves by the way we react. We need to start, be slow to speak, slow to wrath. We're supposed to be swift to hear, slow to speak. The lesson I see here with Jesus is he had every, he already knew what was going on. He's God. He already knew what they were doing in there. He could have just flipped the tables over and went to town right away. He took a day. Be careful about how you react to things. Somebody wrongs you, the best thing you can do is just keep quiet and think on it for a while before you say anything. Good little lesson there. That's extra for you today, not part of the message. We see that the next day before he gets to the temple, there's a fig tree. Verse number 15. Verse number 13, Jesus was hungry. That also makes me always stop and think, the Son of God being hungry. God being famished. He's God. He shouldn't get hungry, right? But he put on flesh. He became human for us. And yet he is still God. He got tired. He got hungry. His stomach was growling, and he was ready to eat something. We look at the next verse, verse 13. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples, we look here, and Jesus is hungry. This fig tree, the leaves are in full bloom. Something interesting about fig trees. Let me just give you... Now, like I said, I've not eaten figs, but I decided to do some research on figs, okay? So if you know better than me and I'm wrong, I got my, Google is where I got my information about a fig tree, okay? So, and I know you can't trust, uh, one of the best quotes I've ever heard, Abraham Lincoln said, you can't trust everything you read on the internet. And he was honest, Abe, so I know that that has to be right. And some of you might get that tomorrow. Abraham Lincoln and the internet didn't go together. You know, I know Al Gore says he invent, invented the internet, but we'll leave that one alone as well. But with a fig tree, they, nor they, they can bloom three times a year. They have figs three times a year. They, like our orange tree, a lot of times it'll get twice a year it will bloom. But figs three times a year, and they're one of the most fruitful trees that there are. They also have some of the biggest leaves. They grow 10 to 20 feet tall. Can you think of anything in the Bible that fig leaves were used for? Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. They're big leaves. Also, something interesting, one of the most, their time of harvest, the best, the prime time, is in April. That's what I read. And if I'm wrong, you can tell me later. Now, if you want to argue with me that Jesus wasn't really born in December, 
I'll probably agree with you on that. I don't believe he was really born in December. I know that he was born, and praise God for it. And say, well, why do we celebrate Christmas? If we want to have a day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I am good with it. The fact that stores can play music about Jesus and they don't even realize it, and you can hear good songs and worship Jesus as you walk through Walmart and when people are crashing into your cart, I'll take it all day long. It's okay. But if you want to argue that with me, I really don't think he was born in December. I don't think the shepherd, I think the way it was all set up, I don't think that that's true. I know he was born, so I'm fine with celebrating it in December. And if he really was, he was here. That's all that matters. It's pretty clear, though, that he rose from the dead in April around that time. It is pretty clear. So this fig tree should have had plenty of fruit on it. It looked good, but there was no fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but what good is a tree if it doesn't have fruit, if it's supposed to bear fruit? We have, uh, we lived here on the property, we have an orange tree out here. That orange tree has some of the best oranges you'll ever have. Eat, whatever you want to say. After the service this morning, I want to encourage you. You can go to the tree and get an orange. They're just about ripe. They're right at the right spot. Get an orange and tell me if they're good. There was probably three or four years ago that the tree had a bad year. That just wasn't very good, the oranges on there. And they just weren't sweet like they normally are. Like, these oranges, you need, like, a towel around you because they will just drip orange juice or everywhere. They're just that juicy. It's not one of those that you just peel apart and then... No, you start peeling apart, and there's going to be juice everywhere, which is a good orange to me. And so, years ago, there was one year where the oranges were not very good. And I had this thought, and I talked to the tree. I was just following Jesus' example, right? He talked to trees, too. He did. He, didn't he talk to the fig tree? He did. If you don't give me better fruit, I'm going to cut you down one of these days. Why am I going to have this tree putting this nasty fruit out, and then... It's going to get all over the ground, and what's the point? And some people say, well, it's for shade. No, I'll get a tree that doesn't, that doesn't have all that fruit on it for shade if I want shade. And so, but after that year, that tree started producing really good oranges again. The whole goal of having an orange tree is to have oranges. That makes sense, right? Does that make sense? Am I off on saying that? I think that's pretty, that's true. If you have an apple tree, you want apples from it, right? Caroline and I were at Riley Farm the other day up in Oak Glen. And uh, they have all their trees. They have trees because they get apples from them and things. That's the whole goal. So this fig tree looked good, but there was no fruit. Something that you'll notice in the scriptures that Israel is compared or figured to a fig tree 60 times in the Bible. When you look at this passage here, and you got to understand something, if the leaves were full and there was no fruit, normally it meant that there was a disease in that fig tree and that it was on its way out to begin with. But do you know a lot of Christians are very similar to this fig tree? A lot of the Jews in the temple at this time were like this fig tree. They looked good on the outside. The leaves were full. Everything was good. And yet there's no fruit. Our Heavenly Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. Isn't that what the Bible says? And as a Christian, we should be bearing fruit. What's the use of a Christian not bearing fruit, right? Now, I want to help before I dive deeper into the message. I've got some Baptist friends that, and let me give you a little thought here, okay? A lot of people like to post dumb things on Facebook in different places, okay? One of the things that I do, so there's this, there's a couple of friends of mine, yeah, they're kind of friends, that are 
pastors in Southern California. Well, they are very, very hard-nosed on certain things, and this is their belief. If someone claims to be a Christian and they have no fruit, then they are not saved and they're not a Christian. And I'll just help you out. That's baloney. That's not true. Because Jesus talks about in John 15 that if you abide in me, he talks about abiding in him, and it talks about those that don't bear fruit that are abiding in him. Now he purges them and cuts them and does things to it to bear fruit, but there will be seasons where there is not much fruit in the life of a Christian. If you start basing if someone's really saved by the fruit that they have, what you become is a fruit inspector. And last time I checked, I wasn't called to inspect fruit. I'm supposed to get the seed so fruit can grow. But anyways, I'll just, so they posted that a couple weeks ago. Let me give you a little thought on Facebook etiquette here, okay? I don't argue with people in their comments. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Because I don't want to get on this long old spill of things. I will privately text message them and ask them about what they said. Like this pastor, I'm like, is it really smart to say that when you got John 15 in the Bible? That was my text. I didn't put it out for the whole world to see me going back and forth with him, but I wanted to ask him privately. That's a good way. Don't air out, and you might disagree with what someone says. You don't need to make it vocal and let everyone in the world see it. You say, well, pastor, you just made it vocal. I did, but I was trying to give you an example of how to do it. So that was to help you do it better when you do it. So quit arguing with me on Facebook. No, no, I don't think anybody really argues with me on Facebook. I'm teasing when I say that. But we do a lot better getting off of Facebook and getting in God's book. That will preach, but I'll leave that there. We see that Jesus, so you think about this. There are many Christians, many Jews here in the temple, and they look good on the outside. And yet there's no fruit on the inside. The hypocrisy. And in Christianity, we have that today. Well, you look good. You look like a good Christian, but inside there is no fruit. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no long-suffering. There's no gentleness. There's no goodness, no meekness, faith, temperance. There is none of those things. And we're no different than this fig tree. We see that Jesus curses this tree. Strong, isn't it? You're never going to bear fruit for anyone to eat ever again. And he goes to the temple. As we look at that, and as we go deeper into the message, I want you to look, after he curses that tree, we see that he goes into the temple. And look with me down at verse number 15. It says, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money chain, each of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple, and he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. You notice the chief priests and scribes are getting ready to kill him. Why did they kill him? They feared him. You see that right there? They feared him. What did they fear? That the people were amazed at what he taught. And all he taught was what the Bible said, which we'll look at in a couple minutes. As we look here in the temple, we see several things taking place. 
as he went into the temple, this is not referring to the Holy of Holies in the inner court. This is the outer court, where known as the court of the Gentiles, where even the Gentiles could come and pray and worship God. It was probably about 250 yards long, about two and a half football fields for you football people today. The temple was an amazing building and all these things, but everything about the temple symbolized something that was used to communicate God's purposes and to bring glory to God. That's what the temple was there for. Jesus got into Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. And he starts driving out those who are buying and selling there. It literally means, where it talks about him driving them out here, it means to eject, to force out with violence. The same word used for Jesus casting out demons is the same word used for him casting them out of the temple here. And while we look at this, there might have been, and some were expecting Jesus to come and overthrow the Roman government. They were looking for the kingdom to be set up. But one of the things that they were missing was that there would be one who would come and the, he would be zealous for the Lord and for the things of God. Zechariah talks about that in chapter number, uh, where do I want you to go? Zechariah 14. Yeah, let's go there. Is it Zechariah 14? Yeah, you're going back to it. So I was looking on my notes here. I'm like, where did all this go? And actually, your, your things haven't even started till now in the notes. That's funny. So, Psalm 69, 9 first. We'll go there. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Zechariah 14, 21. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of thee and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanites in the house of the Lord of hosts. And the Bible just talks about that there was going to be one coming who was zealous for the Lord's house. We are getting close to Passover. You realize that's coming in this passage. It's the week before, a few days before it takes place. Travelers would come a long distance to the temple. And what they had to do is they had to pay an annual temple tax, but they could not use Greek or Roman money because it had pagan symbols on it. So they would have to exchange their money in order to pay that tax in the temple. Now the way that it would, and you know, we do that today. When I was in Mexico two week, last week or whenever it was, weeks are running together now. It's been a crazy week. Went to Mexico one week, moved this week, and now I'm just in the state of confusion. So um, the temple, and so they would exchange the money. When we went to Mexico, we took dollar bills and things and turned them into pesos. Well, one of the things that they do is they charge a little bit so they make something off of it. And then where we exchange the money for pesos, what they said is, you want to, we'll buy back the pesos when you leave if you still have some. But they're not going to pay you as much as what you pay them for. Because they make money off of it. And so they would pay this tax, and also, if you're traveling a long ways to Jerusalem, Passover's coming, you would have to, your family would have to sacrifice an animal, right? A lamb. If you're poor, you'd do doves. And so you're really not going to bring your animal with you from miles away. 
it was easier to get it when you were close. But you got to understand something. You, when you, all of this was not supposed to be done in the temple. The temple was never designed to be a place to exchange your money and to buy your animals. And in fact, historians, Josephus lived during that day. He's a historian of that day. But what would happen is that um, you would end up before 30 A.D. in the Mount of Olives is where most of this would take place. Later on, after 30 A.D., it moved into the temple area, that courtyard. And it became a stock exchange, basically, or an animal place to buy your animals. But the temple was never designed to be a place for this to happen. And so what would happen is, and Josephus, the historian, he said during Passover week, almost a quarter of a million lambs would be bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple courts. Can you imagine that? Think of how loud and chaotic the temple court must have been. You have all these animals, you have all this money being exchanged, you have all these things taking place. And as we look at that and we think about that, we see that Jesus demonstrated his zeal and his love for God in three ways. The first thing that Jesus did was he overturned the tables of the money changers. Exchange rates easily during that day consumed half a day's wages for the average person. So people were making, they were robbing people because they needed the money. You know, you give someone a loan and you're like, I'll charge you this much interest. Well, banks do that and think so that's how they make their money. So here in the temple, people need to pay this tax that they need to pay. It should have been, we'll just exchange it straight across, really. Or we'll charge as minimum as we can so we can still make a living. But they were charging half a day's wages to exchange the money. They were robbing the people of their money. So first thing Jesus does is he overturns the... Can you imagine all the coins hitting the ground? It was a bunch of marble in that area too. So you hear all the change hitting and all these things happening. The second thing that we see is that he knocked over the seats of those selling doves. And while, the clang, while, the, while you had change clanging on the ground, you probably had all these feathers flocking around and all this craziness taking place. And you realize, and you know, we mentioned doves here, but a poor person, this is what they would buy. They couldn't afford a lamb. So they would get doves and they would sacrifice those doves to the Lord. But these people would charge so much, they were even taking advantage of the poor people at this point. And knocked over the seats of those selling the doves. And then the third thing we see happens is he blocked anyone from carrying merchandise through the temple courts. Instead of going to the Mount of Olives in that area to buy what they needed, it was just easier to do it at the temple. But Jesus was stopping that. We look at the next verse, we see that he goes a little further and asks a question. He says, and he taught and said to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? Did you know over 60 times in the Gospels Jesus said, is it not written or is it, ri it is written? Do you, know how many, do you know how Jesus knew the Word of God? Hey, it would help us today as Christians to learn the Word of God, to know it. Hey, why do you go to church? Someone might ask you. I don't 
pastor says I should go to church. That's a terrible reason to go to church. If the only reason you're going to church is because I tell you you should go to church, that's, man, I'll tell you lots of other things you need to do and see if you follow those. You should be able to say, well, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25. Someone asks you, um, why is Jesus so different than everyone else? This last week when we were moving, we had some help with moving, and this guy could speak five different languages, and he says he knew about Christianity, and he even has some Christians in his family, but he just didn't know. He says, I believe Jesus was here, but I just don't know that what was so special about Jesus. That's what he asked me. Because, you know, you tell someone you're a pastor, and that, like, their whole demeanor changes. One guy was Russian. All he spoke was Russian. His question to me is, do you like Russia? And I said, um, do you know what's going on in Ukraine right now? He's like, oh, I'm from Ukraine. I said, okay, so what do you think about Russia? I don't mind them. And we just left the conversation there. So, but, um, but this guy, what did, so we're talking as the bed's being disassembled. And I said, what makes Jesus so special is that he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And no man comes unto God but through Jesus Christ. He heard me. One of the big problems we have in Christianity today is we have the best tool in all the world for everything, and we don't use the proper tool. Those guys that helped us move the washing machine and dryer need to be disconnected. And you can tell they didn't do much of that because they had their little bag from Harbor Freight. It looked like a Harbor. It was a craftsman bag with Harbor Freight tools inside. Now, I'm not against Harbor Freight. They work. They get the job done. But they didn't have the right pliers, and, so the, and all my tools have been moved already. They're spending 10 minutes trying to get the dryer disconnected. I said, go do something else. I'm going to run to the church and get my pliers. I got my pliers, and in five seconds, the dryer was disconnected. The right tool makes all the difference. You have the most powerful tool in all the world, the Word of God. Jesus realized that. And that's why he said over 60 times, it is written. Or is it not written? He knew the word of God, and he was able to, and that's where the Bible talks about to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we need God's people to step up and know God's word. It will help us so much. When the temple was first built, it was built to glorify God. And in fact, God's glory filled the temple, right? So Jesus, he says here in Mark chapter 11, is not my house to be a house of prayer for all nations. He was quoting Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7. It says, And also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and taketh hold of my covenant. Verse number 7. It says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain, and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. So Jesus, when he says, isn't it written that my house must be a house of prayer for all people? He's quoting Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7. When we look at that, we see two principles that are picked up for us. Number one, God's house is for prayer. God's house is for prayer. It's amazing we can have, I think Baptists think that God's house is for potlucks. But nowhere, there's no, I don't see one time in Hebrew the word potluck being used. Now they did fellowship together and eat bread and praise God for that. 
but we can have a potluck and have 100 people show up. We have prayer meetings and no one shows up. There's something not quite right with that. God's house is for prayer. And also, soon I'm going to teach, I've got a series I'm working on on prayer. Because too often, we and I've used the example a lot lately, and I'll use it again. We treat prayer like it's rubbing the lamp of the genie and getting wishes from God. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is talking with God, abiding in Him. But we see, the first lesson we can see about God's house is it's supposed to be known for prayer. Is God's house known for prayer? I think that fits today just like any other time. Secondly, we see that God's heart is for all people. Aren't you glad that God, that it was to be a house of prayer for all nations? I love that. It wasn't just for the Jews, it was for all nations. But also you see, and we look at what Jesus did here, you know why Jesus was upset? Not only because of the merchandise and what they were selling in God's house, he was also upset by the way they were treating the other. They were taking advantage of people. God doesn't like people to take advantage of other people. That's not God's way of doing it. God doesn't want it to be that way. They were, ex they were really robbing people. And in fact, what we see is, do you see what Jesus says next? He says, so he says, my house shall be called the house of, house of all nations, the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. He goes from quoting Isaiah 56 to quoting Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11. Is this house which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. That phrase, ye have made it, it means that it was a completed action. The ten, when Jesus says it here, ye have made it a den of thieves, it was a den of thieves now. And when we see that word thieves, it's one who plunders violently. A den of thieves were, were thieves that went, and when they wanted to end, what they did was they just took advantage of everyone around them and took their stuff from them. And what the Lord says here in Jeremiah is, I've seen it. Jesus saw it and was doing something about it. The fact that Jeremiah and Jesus preached the same message meant that this was a problem from time to time in the temple. And let, let me just, let me help you out today. Because I've had a few people, we for youth conferences, we've had um, bake sales or we've done yard sales to raise money for our teenagers. And I've had people come to me, you're making a mockery of God's house. No, 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 no. Raising money for teens to go to a youth conference and having a fundraiser, that's different, okay? And I'm not charging people out of their minds and robbing them. But this place is not, you didn't walk in the door today and have to buy your seat to sit down. So you took up an offering. If you want to have that attitude about it, then you can get your offering back and take it home with you. I don't want your offering if you have that attitude. They lost the concept of the main thing. God's house was for prayer, a place to bring glory to God. And they were cheating people out of their money and using it to make things better for themselves. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. And he sets the record straight. As we look here, as we go a little further this morning, 
we go down to verse number 20. And we see it says, In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember and saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answered, said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith will come to pass, he sh shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye forgive, if ye do not forgive, neither will heaven forgive your trespasses now Jesus has left the temple he caused quite the commotion the next day Peter sees the fig tree that Jesus cursed the day before he says hey you see it's drying up from the roots and you see Jesus' response is nothing about the fig tree he ties that fig tree prayer and what was not going right in the temple. As we finish up here today, I want to give you a few thoughts. You know, when we're not bearing, this is a little side note again, when we're not bearing fruit, we have a root problem. Jesus preached a message and did a parable about soil. Remember that? And I've heard people say, and from time to time, and people will say this to me, and it hurts me more for people than it does them saying it to me. So I'll get this, and I heard some of this, you know, people say to everyone, and it's not just one person that happens to everyone. Pastor, I've gotten nothing out of your preaching. Okay. I get that. My kids don't listen to half the things I say. They don't get everything I say either. So, you know, my wife doesn't listen to everything I tell. Well, I try to listen to everything she tells me, but, you know, it just doesn't always work. But people say... I, don't, I haven't gotten anything out of your preaching. That worries me. Not because my preaching is so good. Because I can tell you this, probably just in Chino alone, you can find ten better preachers than me, easily. But when the Word of God is preached, if there's a problem with the soil, those roots can't get what they need. And if your heart is hard towards the things of God, you are missing out on what God has for you. And you see this tree's problem started down in the roots where no one would see it. You know where our problems begin in the Christian life and when we stop bearing fruit? They all begin in the heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's what the Bible says. And so if you're having a problem and you're not growing and you're not fruitful, check your heart. That's where you need to begin. That's a side note. Let's finish up here this morning. We're just about done. What time are we at? 11, 12. I can just go till like 1.30 and then we just start our 2 o'clock service and then those who want to watch the Super Bowl we can just do all that. But anyways, so as we finish up here today, I want you to see what Jesus has to say about prayer. You see, Peter's like, look at that tree. It's dying. Jesus says, no, here's some thoughts on prayer that you need. Hey, this is what my people need. You know, you, you wonder why we struggle. You wonder why we're fruitless. 
It could just be that our lack of time and prayer has a lot to do with it. What was Jesus' first response? Number one, when we talk about prayer, have faith in God. That's what he says, literally right before your eyes. It literally could be translated this, constantly trusting in God. You know, the power is not in prayer itself. It's found in faith. We often hear that we just need to have faith, and actually we just need to have faith in God. How are we saved today? Not just because we have faith, but we have faith in God and what he says, right? And so we need faith in God. Having faith in God means that we submit to his will above our own. The key to that is found in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. That's where so many Christians get it wrong. The name it and claim it theology. If I say it, God's going to give it to me. That's not true because he doesn't always give you what you want. God, I want a million bucks. He hasn't given it to me yet. You know what that tells me? It's not his will for me to have it. You see, though, if you have faith in God, it means that you're going to trust him. This is a hard prayer. You have a loved one sick. My mom still isn't back to how she was. I'm still having to do a lot of help there. Our, some days are great, some days are not so great. But do you know my prayer has not been, and this is hard, I have not prayed God heal her. My prayer is, God, I trust you. It changed recently. I used to just pray for God to heal her. But my prayer is, God, I trust you, and I want your will. And if it is your will, but if it's not, I'll trust you anyways. That's what prayer is supposed to be. Lord, I'm struggling right now. And I'd love for you to take this struggle away. But if it's not your will, I trust you. That's what prayer should be. We see Jesus told him you need to have faith in God. But number two, you've got to submit your request to God. I love the words that are used in the next few verses. Whosoever and whatever. Whosoever means anybody can pray. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Prayer isn't just for a select few. Anyone can pray. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, or what the case may be. And it says whatever. That helps us realize the fact that God is able to do anything. He is powerful. Is there anything too hard for God? The answer is no. There's nothing too hard. And we see that phrase about a mountain. And, you know, when we think about a mountain, you think about a tough time. The God of the valley is still, you know, the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. And climbing up a mountain is not the easiest thing. I know when I climbed up to the top of Baldy a couple months ago with Louie, he wants to do it again. I'm fine not doing it anytime soon. There's a lot of difficulty, struggles to get to the top. Mountains represent difficulty. Because you got to get to the top. The top, the mountain peak might be great, but you got to get up there. And you got to come back down. And a lot of times, mountains represent the struggle, the, the climbing up of the mountain, those things represent the struggles that we face and that we go through. And when we look at these things and we think about it, I'm just glad to know that as hard as the struggles might be we go through in life, 
that God is bigger than any of those struggles. The Bible says in Luke 1, 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. You know, one of the problems we have is sometimes we don't even ask him or we ask amiss according to our own lust, the Bible teaches us. And so what are some lessons on prayer? You've got to have faith in God. You've got to submit your request to God. And number three and lastly today, you've got to grant forgiveness to others. Doesn't it talk about that right there? It says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against me, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. As we look at that and as we close this morning, you know, some people have, this, have a problem with an unforgiving spirit. Do you realize an unforgiving spirit is sin? It is. Christianity is marked by forgiveness, isn't it? You are only a Christian today because God forgave you of your sin and forgave me. And so if the Lord has forgiven us, we should forgive others. But there are times where our prayers are hindered because we have, we have an unforgiving spirit. We think about Psalm 66, I believe it is. In verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And 1 Peter talks about the husband and wife relationship. talks about dwelling with them according to knowledge and at the end, and be not bitter against them, lest your prayers be hindered. When you hold bitterness and hold an unforgiving spirit, men, against your spouse, that's what the verse is talking about, your prayers can be hindered. And so Jesus is saying when we look at this passage, he's saying, hey, hey you need to have faith in God. You need to give him your requests, and you need to forgive others. Those are three perimeters, three important facts about prayer that we miss so often. As we look at the t message today, the root of bitterness can mess up your prayer life. And it was the root of that tree that was dying. You see, there are so many lessons you can learn from a fig tree to temple. And Jesus is so good about teaching us these lessons. I wonder this morning as we close, how are you doing today? Oh, pastor, I'm fine. You might look fine to me. You might look fine to yourself. And you can fool everybody else in this room, fool a lot of people. But the Lord knows your heart. Are you like that fig tree? You look good, good leaves. You look good, but there's no fruit. You might want to get back to the Word of God. You might want to get back to prayer. As a church, we might want to get back to more prayer. Is Victory Baptist Church known as the house of prayer? It's a thought right there. And prayer is more than just taking all of our requests to him and asking for we're honest this morning, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but really our prayer meetings are terrible. They aren't, if we look at what biblical prayer is, we do not follow that model. And you might say, well, I don't like you saying, I'm just telling you that that's my job to speak the truth. If you look at what the Bible says about prayer and what we do for prayer, we do a very poor job of it. Let's do a better job. Let's also make sure as a church that we don't ever take advantage of people. 
You never use people. I've been in too many churches where the church uses people. A ministry should never be used or there to use people. A ministry is here to help people. You know, I never want to get to the place as a pastor where I use the people God brings in here to build what I'm trying to do. I want to be used by God for all of you. I don't mind being used. I don't want to use you to take advantage of you. But the same should go for all of us. You don't want to take advantage of people either. That's why, you know, and this is a little side note, be thankful for those who teach your kids. Those who will sit in nursery with your kids. And, you know, you might say, well, I don't take advantage. Well, when you stay in the auditorium for 20 minutes after church and make them sit with your kids when you should go pick them up, it does take advantage of them just a little bit. I would do my best to go get my kids. Thank them. Be good to them. Let's just be a church that's known for helping people, not using people. People need help. They should know they can come to this church. If people know they need prayer, it should be the place that they come to. Let's be what God's called us to be. I would hate for Jesus to come walking in one day and just be upset with everything he saw. You know, the chief priests and the scribes, they were fearful and they were at what he did after what had happened. I would have been ashamed. Jesus walks into this place and he looked at me and said, look at what's going on here. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. My house is supposed to be a house for all people. Look at what you've turned my house into. Some of us wouldn't even recognize Jesus if he did walk into the church. That's why we got to do our best to glorify him, to bring him honor, to bring him glory. Father, thank you for the time.